Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Let's talk about pricing your cards at card shows. Because because when I go to a card show, David, and I see a lot of people say this, they will walk right by tables that don't have prices on them, especially a busy table. Now you got to ask the guy like, so my rule and advice I've been giving for years to people going to card shows is if, if people, sorry, to people setting up a card shows, if you want to have a, if you want to have a good show, a better show than you otherwise would put prices on your cards and put them on the front of your cards, because that is going to, I, I my first couple shows prices on the no prices that I did prices on the back. Maybe I was embarrassed of my prices. Then I'm like, no, prices on the front. And ever since I've done that, I've never had a bad show. So I'm I'm in the price your cards, put them on the front of the cards, let the let the attendees see the prices. That will be good for your show, especially if you're busy. If you're too, if you if you if you're if you've got all if all you're selling is is dust, then fine. You know, you can take t- time to tell people your prices because no one's at your booth anyway. But if yeah. you want to have a busy show, I think you should <coughs> price your cards. David, your thoughts, please. So I I've, I think pricing your cards is a best practice. And it helps demonstrate a willingness to actually sell. And, you know, when I'm at the show set up as a dealer, I, I want to sell things. I paid for a table space. I'm not just there to buy cards. I'm there to sell cards. So, you know, I'm, I'm calling it a best practice um, because I have, I have done it both ways and I, I have not necessarily experienced a difference in success or not. Um, but, you know, it does, it, 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 it does help me at least to know I put that price on there. Um, now, you know, for some people, I, I, let's address the people who say they're walking by. First of all, if you're at a show and you're walking by a table and they don't have prices and you're you're telling us that, you know, you're just going to walk by, um, the first thing I'm going to say to you is, then that really just may mean there's not anything in there that you wanted because I know better. 
if there was a card in that case and it didn't have a price on it, but it was a card you wanted, you darn well would stop and wait and ask for a price and you'd be on your phone looking up the comp to see what it is that I was going to say about it. And so I also think, and, and this is actually from my experience, the people that are often walking by because because somebody don't 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 have prices on there, more often than not, they're the bargain hunters anyway, right? That they're not necessarily looking to collect all these cards out of my case that haven't been priced. They're bargain hunting. Maybe they're looking to speculate. Maybe they're looking to invest. And and listen, if that's the case, I completely hear the idea that like your time is valuable, time is money in those shows. You need to be able to keep moving, but let's not don't let's not again pretend to call that the you know that that's the collecting aspect and somehow by not pricing my cards I've impeded your ability to do that. That that's ridiculous. We're all smarter than that. Don't talk about it that way. Let's just call it what it is. Right? I'm looking to speculate. I'm looking to invest. I'm looking for bargains. I'm looking for deals. Cool. You absolutely listen, Jeremy. That's all I do at card shows is. I'm looking for that stuff. Um, and then, I, you know, I would, I do, so again, I'm like you, I try to, I try my very best to price my cards. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I think we could both somewhat attest to is it is rare, very rare <laughs> that someone just pays the price that I have in a card, even if I've priced it right. I, I mean, certainly right now at the shows I've been at, the comp, conversation is just paralyzing people um so even when you price it comp i don't most people i know are not wanting to pay it the, and and part of it's a psychological thing um there's a haggle culture that exists it shows where you, you know pe most people want to feel like they got a deal and so sometimes you know at least i know this is what i've done I've tried to adapt to that and sometimes move my prices around, you know, within, I call it like a 10 to 15% um, type of range. You can, you absolutely can put a price on a card that's also just too high. And so, it, you know, you've kind of got to find that balance, but you know, I, I haven't, I haven't experienced much, even when I price competitively, the people will pay it. They always end up asking me, for something less. And, and as we're talking about the psychological element, it's not just from the buyer's standpoint, it's from the sellers too. I like I'm there set up. I want to sell. And if I've priced competitively and I just, and I keep getting hit with, well, would you take less? Would you take less? Would you take less? Like, I don't want to be saying no all the time that, or, or I don't want to have to always just hold firm at my price, right? I, I want to transact, but I also want to get in a conversation. And I think some people would tell you that knowing the proliferation of the availability of the online price data, right? Not pricing your cards. When someone then asks you about it, it, it it's the easiest way to invite the conversation to see if you can't do the haggle negotiation into the range of something that makes sense so you can close the deal. Like I tell people all the time, you don't want to, I don't like letting deals die over 5%. Like 
to me, once you've kind of gotten into that range, that you've got to find a way to finish it. But you'd always don't you don't want to always be the person that's giving away the five percent either. Um, but you know, look, having prices on the cards sort of helps indicate, I believe, to people what your willingness to sell and and probably does give a hint of your willingness and or ability to negotiate on certain cards. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I do understand that that, I think that that is helpful to people on the buyer's side of the table. And which is why I think, why I like to call it a best practice. Yeah, no, lots, lots of great comments there. Um, so I have a few, a few sort of thoughts that came uh, through what you were saying. So um, if I'm, if I'm at the show shopping, I'm walking around and I'm, and my time is of the essence, you know, I'm, I'm going to be looking in showcases. If the dealer is busy, there's a card I like, but there's a good chance that someone else has that card and there's no price on it there. I'm not going to stop and ask him. He, if he would have put a price on it, he might've had my sale, but because there might not be a price and I feel like I can get another copy of it somewhere else. It's not going to be, it's not going to, you know, be that much different or anything. That guy's maybe just lost the sale to me. So that's that's one re, that's one situation. Um, it it depends on the card. Like if it's a card that you think you can get again, fine. But like you yeah. said, if it's a card that that I really want, and you have it in your showcase and there's no price on it, hundred percent, I'm gonna wait or I'll come <laughs> back and I'm gonna ask you about that card. But what what having a price on it does for me is it lets me know if you're within the realm because I believe there's right. still some of this post COVID pricing hangover from, from some dealers who don't want to sell cards for today's values and for sure i don't hold that against them but i don't want to wait 10 minutes for you to finish two other deals to only yeah. find out that the card i want to pay 150 for you're asking 500 for because right. you bought it in 2021 and i just wasted 15 minutes of my precious time at the show yeah. in defense of not pricing your cards though some vendors don't have time like yeah. prices change so fast in this hobby on so many cards that you know if you have a family, you have a full time job, and you're just a you're just a part time dealer who sets up a card shows like like you and I, well like I do and many vendors do. Uh, sometimes the time gets away from you and you don't have time to price them. Yeah. That's happened to me before. In that case, I'm at the show, my cards are in there unpriced. I feel a little sheepish, but to people asking, I'm like, guys. I just didn't have time this right. month to price my cards. But if there's anything you're like, I will say that a million times Me too. during the weekend because I don't want people to be scared that they think that I, that my prices are going to be high. Cause that's yep. the assumption on a lot of people when you don't have prices on your cards. And, and do you ever notice that when you've priced your entire case, except for like three cards, Those there's three in, <laughs> the cards that everyone asks you the most about are the three that don't have prices and it's and it's not because they want them it's just it's like ocd yeah. they can't stand that they don't know how much that one is even though there's no interest in buying it right i wanted to know and you're right like, well, but why why is it that one why is I mean, that one price i'm telling you people people had kind of laughed at me when i described this psychological element but i mean i'm just telling you guys it's true um, and it does, it, you mentioned it, it takes a lot of time to price your cards. For those of you out there that are kind of righteously indignant to those of us when we don't do it, um, my challenge to you is if you've never set up at a show and had to do it yourself, quite frankly, you don't know 
how hard it is and how much time it takes because it doesn't take an hour when you have 300 in your case, especially as in instances where prices are really moving around. Yeah. I mean, it's dozens of hours of time to prep to be ready before it. And I mean, listen, with some of the modern stuff, Jeremy, prices move in an instant. I mean, when we were up at, we were up in Chicago, Joe Burrows fluctuated 40% in price over the span of like 30 minutes when people were speculating that maybe he'd torn an ACL versus just pulling a calf muscle. I mean, there was a collective groan in my section of the show when, when that news yeah. sort of hit the wire. And it was, and some people were like immediately trying to hit eject on some of their cards. So, um, yeah, you know, so I see people sometimes saying uh, that I've seen people put out there that not pricing your cards is sheer laziness. It's all it is is being lazy. But that if you're saying that, you must not have much th- much to do with your time because a lot of people have a lot going on in their lives, and it's not laziness. It's literally running out of time. You still need to sleep. So I think you know, don't project so much your lifestyle on other people. Sometimes if you're thinking that way, some people just don't have time. But you know, and you can say, well, price a month early. Yeah, but these these prices move. But guys, right? it's just not that easy. And then uh, when you consider you're traveling for shows, so there's another dead day in there. I mean, it take it it is an effort for me every time I do it, even when I'm setting up here in, in my home city. It's yeah. still hard. Stukes here says the worst thing at a card show is waiting for a dealer to look up comps. Had to do that in an LCS the other day. Yeah, I, I it is, it is, I don't know if it's the worst thing at a card show, Stukes, but it's definitely a frustrating thing for sure. LGC says, what do you think about dealers that like to flex at shows and put cards in their displays that are not for sale? So I see a lot of people like saying, if it's in the showcase, it's for sale, you know, or something like that. Or why would you put it? Like, first of all, you know, sometimes, sometimes there are marketing reasons for putting certain cards in there to let people know that you play in this area or like, I don't, I don't, if you put a card in your showcase and I ask you about it and you say it's not for sale, I don't get bent out of shape. I say, oh, cool. So now I know what you like. Like, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care when people do that. I've done it before in the past. I once brought a whole showcase just to show a set of cards that I'd collected because I thought people would find it interesting. And you, and I know a couple of people that uh, it totally influenced the way they collect. And this is back in like, this is over 10 yeah. years ago. These were one of one. Jumbo, the first mega patches ever made came out in a in the game product. In any event, I don't hold it against anybody. Uh, Tyler Teapot says, I really dislike it when there are no prices. I'll wait to speak with the dealer only to find that he's way over fair market value, wasted time. Now, that's not always going to be the case, but that is often going to be the case. And and that is frustrating. But uh, there's a comment down here from Sean Red who says, Jeremy, I bought a big card from a guy who never changed his COVID prices but came down 60% from his sticker. And then I stopped by your booth and showed it to you. I vaguely remember, Sean, somebody showing me a card and telling me that story. I must have been you. What card was it? Because I, I can't remember exactly. But kudos to that dealer for being realistic, right? Yeah, look, it goes back to my discussion point, right? I mean, because I'm, I'm with Tyler on that at some level. It's really disappointing when you ask someone in their way over market. But And, and I'm a little bit people see me online and think I'm a lot more extroverted than I really am in person. 
Um, I'm I'm not always the person that'll engage, engage the discussion when I really should. And, you know, so my counter to that would be, look, if it's overpriced, maybe just ask the question, you know, of, am I missing something? Because these are the kind of comps that I'm seeing. Is that a range you think you could be in? And I, most dealers, once they, I know I do, once I sort of realize that I'm mispriced, then I, you know, I've got to make the call. Am I willing to get rid of the card in that price or not? And, and if I'm not, I say no and the frustration remains. But more times than not, if it is in my, ca in my case, it's available for sale. And, and I understand that I need to be at kind of fair market value to sell. So questions, if you can enter the discussion, I really think that that helps facilitate the commerce because it, it, it gets beyond just this dollar value concept. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, Currency Project says, where can we find the full Peter Forsberg interview? It's on my YouTube channel, uh, Currency Project. You can find it, the full nine or 10 minute video on the channel. Diamond Dog says, the hair contrast between Jamie <laughs> and David is mega. David has mega hair. Jeremy has, uh, well, no hair. Uh, Lash Wine says, updating prices is quite time-consuming for sure. 1956 Tops Guy says, I care less about non-pricing and a lot more about people starting 40% high. That's fair. Yeah. And the Card Man says, we only have a handful of shows a year here in Sydney. My brain couldn't cope with having to reprice more than that. Yeah, for sure. Sean, the Gretzky graded eight. Yeah, I do recall uh, that. Congratulations on, on your purchase. I mean, yeah, congratulations on adding a nice... Gretzky to the collection. Uh, Matthew says the markup is either wasting everyone's time or a tax on the newbie. Neither is good for the hobby and is antiquated. Ideally, the market removes those dealers. Yeah, that would be what we'd hope, right, Matthew? But some of these guys keep on coming back. Yeah, yeah. They're the guys sitting at their booths, uh, reading the newspaper and not even looking up at you when you come by the booth a lot of the time. And I, I don't know why they bother going. It must be their one outing of the year. Um, but hey, all right. That was the topic on pricing your cards. Uh, let's talk about hobby truths, David. You've put out a few hobby truths on your uh, on your Instagram stories lately, and um, one of them actually sort of segues in from what we were just talking about as far as the lazy factor of not pricing cards. Which I think we agree. In some cases, for some vendors, they are just being lazy by not pricing their cards because they probably do have the time on their hands. But speaking for myself and some other people that I know, and I, I do find the time, but I can understand that some people might not. You know, I will stay up till four in the morning to get it done, but I might lose sleep and my wife might not be happy with me. But, you know, you I make the sacrifice. But, David, talk about your hobby truths, please. What, what, what are we getting at here? All right. So I have really only two hobby truths. I believe that there are only two hobby truths. And nearly anything and everything we talk about can fall into one or the other. And they're as simple as this. Hobby truth number one. The hobby is lazy. It's just true. And I'll talk about why that is. Okay. My second hobby truth is the hobby is stupid. And it does and it says stupid things. And we spent an hour talking about that. <laughs> earlier tonight a very 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 stupid thing so back to the lazy look i i'll pose it to you this way 
How many auction houses are out there? hundred. E easily, right? And there's 30 to 40 you and I could rattle off if right now, just off the top of our heads, if we wanted to, right? Well, that also means, Jeremy, that there are 100 logins and 100 passwords and at least 100 items on an auction calendar. And like, quite honestly, it's super ridiculous. So in some ways, like it may not just be lazy. It just may be completely overwhelming. But at the same time, as collectors, we also like to gripe about, well, how did I miss that card, right? And the answer is, it's actually easy to miss it with all that stuff going on. But if you wanted to devote the time and effort to get through all these things, you probably could, right? And so we are we naturally when we're not interested or we may be overwhelmed it's kind of tough to push through all that and so we end up being lazy we skip things we take we take auction nights off or we don't go to the show or some of us just don't price the cards because we're jerks and it it takes too much time we didn't run out of time we just wanted to spend time drinking beer and eating nachos like I mean, things happen, but um, I, I, you know, we so we buy cards that we shouldn't uh, because we actually already own it, and we forgot. I do this all the time. Forgot list, oh, and so that I actually remember out of the five thousand cards or more that I own that I already have that thing. I mean, it, these things happen, and so you know, not indifferent, not not really different than in your regular life you know, trying to find ways to, you know, eliminate some of your laziness, try to identify ways to that work for you to be organized, to be intentional. You, you know, those are the types of efforts that I think they not only benefit you in your in your hobby, in your hobby world, in your collecting, but can can also benefit you in life. And then, well, I'll let you jump in on that I, I, re I really <laughs> no I, I appreciate because listen what I'm gonna say is is that um what you you just you just added so much to your Instagram when I've when I saw your Instagram post talking about these hobby truths I didn't know that's what we what you meant so I now realize that I can't just take in every case I can't just take your hot you I can't take what you're putting on your Instagram story at face value, I need to ask more questions and dive deeper, or I have to, or I have to ask and encourage you to be more explanatory about what you're thinking behind your comment. Because your comment on Instagram, uh, when you posted these the other day, I, didn't, I had no idea that that, that 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 there was so much depth to it. So yeah. I would ask you, as a as somebody who follows you, to even it's funny because uh titty subs right here says hobby truth david will post a minimum of 100 words on his stories <laughs> 10 times a day and i'm saying i don't even think that's enough i i say up that up that a little bit so that we can get a fuller understanding of what's going on in your mind uh at least for at least for me and maybe it was only one or two cases but um but thank you i'm glad we're here today and you could uh expound upon those matt's the king of the tldr Congratulations, I'm sorry, uh, DM to me about my Instagram story. <laughs> right. No, I think that I think that's uh that's fine. I 
I uh, uh, Diamond Dog Sports here says collectors are lazy and stupid. Uh, it's true. Yeah, I mean it's that. True. Yeah, some are. You know, let's like yeah. I am always so impressed by these hardcore uh, bargain hunters who are checking out every auction house looking for the yes. deals, right? And then they're stocking their their national booths with these deals and bringing yep. them to the masses. Like I just number one, I don't. I don't, I'm not gonna say I don't have the time. I don't, I'm just not interested. I, I will get bored searching auction houses over and over and over again. Like I just can't, it's not for me. I would rather pay more and have my time to, you know, work out, spend time with my wife and kids, watch, watch some TV, like just have like, like just total brain dead time a little bit here and there to recharge. So I hear you. Um, but, but yeah, no, I appreciate it. Anything else you want to talk about hobby truths wise? Um, so on the, I, I do want to touch on the stupid for a minute just to make sure. Cause I, you know, I appreciate that everyone, that there are people, it's funny. Whenever I sort of post that stuff, I almost inevitably always lose a couple followers, but I, like, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I told Bill this the other day, I'm like, listen, I just told everybody they're lazy and they're stupid. What's the over-under on followers I'm about to lose? But crazy enough, Jeremy, this time when I did it, I ended up positive. So I'm not sure how that happened. But look, on the, on the stupid front, where I where I really want to I really want to hit this a little is in the pricing realm. So, you know, especially in the social media world, like it's always about the record, right? And the, the highest paid for this and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, listen, I just want to caution people a little bit because going back to the comps thing, right? Every time we get a price that's sort of beneficially can be extended to some other card, even if it's not the same card, because like right now we're hearing this very much, I think, about this Baltimore News Ruth. It's about to sell and Rick Probstein, among others, had suggested that that's going to ultimately drive up the prices of other Babe Ruths, similarly to what happened with the Mantles. And, and I, I, don't, I see those distinctly different cases, like a 52 Mantle high grade selling for a big, bigger number, having sort of a trickle down to the lower graded ones makes a little bit of sense because it, it actually is the same card. In this instance, that Baltimore News Ruth, um, the way I've heard pe- other a couple people describe it, they've called it a unicorn, and I think that that's a hundred percent accurate. And and that Baltimore Ruth, that Baltimore News Ruth, doesn't have anything in common whatsoever with the thirty-three Gaudi Ruths. It doesn't. Those are not even in the same stratosphere of the same type of card. They're just not. And so trying to extend that rationale. I, I think is really dangerous. And 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 look, the other the other thing is too, we were talking about megabids, right? Um megabids in many instances can't are they're really just they are stupid bids because it's it's one person or as we've seen maybe a couple that are really willing to just go all in on something because they just gotta own it, right? But when, but if you are sort of a student of that next level of bidding history, which is what I've tried to really be more about some of the cards I'm targeting, is understanding what the market really looks like there. And, and if I, I can't, for all the cards I want to collect, 
if I just keep making decisions based on people that are really over, that are really probably overpaying for something outside of a historical range, there's something else potentially going on with them that wouldn't necessarily be going on with me. And that, so again, it gets back to the research part, which goes, falls back into my lazy bit. We've, you've got to be able to do that. And, and again, find your comfort zone so that, so that you don't act emotionally necessarily in a moment and, and kind of, you know, do something from a bid or an overpay standpoint that you wouldn't if you'd really done your preparation better. And so, right. you know, well, I just think that that's, that's key to when it, so when I'm, when I talk about people doing stupid stuff, like I think definitely in the price, in the prices paid for certain things, it really does happen more often than we think. And there, there's always some, a lot, often something deeper to it that you won't be able to really identify just by looking at bid histories and, 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 price comparison. So I'd like to carve out an exclusion from that mega bid comment you made saying like, you know, somebody going all in on something. So it really depends on on the the type of the card. If we're talking about a liquid commodity type, like you're talking about a, a Jordan rookie or a Gretzky rookie or yeah. whatever, a common card. Yeah. There's no need to, to put in a mega bid. There will be another copy that will be just as good then that can come along. But the exclusion to me is when you are pitting the set collector yes. against the player collector and yes. the card was extremely limited, even just a one of one. And mm -hmm. I'm only speaking from experience. When I went against player, I was a set collector going against player collectors and I put in a bid that was easily six times what this card should reasonably sell for, but I needed the card. So, yep. you know, but I wanted the card badly. Um, the other thing is with respect to the Babe Ruth, so you're saying that that the 1914 Baltimore News, well, it's a different category of card from other Ruth cards. So it's not going to drag up the values of those other cards. Now I have a I have a counterpoint to that, which is REA has been on uh, they've been on like CNN, I think, with this card. You no, know, CNN. They've been on some big news outlets, and it is going to bring attention to Babe Ruth cards. So what I say to your comment is, I think that there is going to be a short-term, the potential short-term bump on other Babe Ruth cards because there's going to be eyeballs on the hobby from people that aren't always looking, people with money who might say, oh my God, this Babe Ruth card just sold for $12 million. What other Babe Ruth card can I buy? Let's go check eBay. Let's check the auction. Now. Let's find out where the auctions are. Let's go look. And maybe I'll buy a different card because it's in my... It's in my peripheral now. I'm aware of it. It's just marketing for all. It's it's marketing for other Babe Ruth cards, but it's different. We're talking about the un. You are speaking to the informed. You are speaking about the That's informed right. hobbyist. They're not gonna. That will not change the value of the 33 Gaudis or any other Babe. I agree with you 100. percent It shouldn't long term, but short term, it might have a, an impact yep. because of the marketing value of this 1914 Babe Ruth card by REA but I do believe it's a short-term bump boop little boop and then it'll go once once those people who were impacted by that marketing by those impressions uh will either buy or not buy and then it's over and then it's, yeah. it's old news so 
I think you might see a small, a small impact. Do you agree? Does that kind of? I do agree, and I, I guess all I would say to that is, if if you're if you're trying to develop a theory of why it happens, if indeed it does happen, I think it's important to understand that it may be irrational, and if you get caught in it, you can you may find yourself in a very short order on the wrong side of it. Yes. Right. And if so you again, on this side, you come yes. in on this side, it's probably going to go that way yes. after, so like, after it goes back to the normal state of affairs. That's right. So again, doing your research, understanding your limits, make sure that you've done what you need to do to get comfortable. Once you've done that, pull the trigger. If you, if you're, if you're able to, and, and listen, you don't have to listen to me if you don't want to, that's fine. Right. I, what here's what I know. There are there were hundreds and hundreds of cardboard millionaires back in 2020, and those guys are still wearing the same ratty clothes and looking and showing up every week at all these shows. And I mean, let's be honest, it, Jeremy, if I if I somehow made five or six million bucks off of buying and selling cards over the next couple of years, I can tell you one thing. I, you're not going to see me at as many shows. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, yeah, that's a, it's a lot of money for sure. And you're, yeah. you're exactly right on all that. I want to go to a couple of comments here really quickly. First, Sean says, I was the guy with a birthday card for my mom made from a Gretzky rookie card cut up when I was 12. Also gave you the Shane. Don't Sean. Now I completely remember. Thank you for letting me know. And, uh, your uh, your birthday card I put on Instagram got a great response. By the way, I that wanted him really to, cool. I want him to slap it right. I, I told you would they slap it authentic? And Jeremy was like, "Who cares?" And I was like, "I you know I don't know. I think it'd be Frame pretty it. cool. I think it's one of the, it was one of the coolest things I saw at Expo. And then Sean actually gifted me this handful oh, of wow, Shane wow. Doan uh, rookie cards. Sean, thank you so much. I wow. still I thank you uh, for that, and and I'm glad I now know who you are. Uh, so again, thank you for being here and congratulations. A uh, vintage card collector says, I don't agree with the lazy comment, David. If this was everyone's full-time job, it would be true. But for most, it's called a hobby for a reason. So I just want to give you an opportunity to address that comment and maybe try and find some common ground if, if you can. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't agree with that. I don't, cause I don't believe, first of all, the premise that it was everybody's full-time job. It's not. Less than 1% of the people in the hobby are doing this as a full-time job. It's actually probably even infinitesimal smaller than 1%. So it, it's a, it's, it's just a, not, it's a fallacy to even start from that discussion. I think everybody's going to get out of the hobby what they put into it. Um, and I believe that 100%. The people who get more out of it are, are the people that are spending more time they're being more efficient with the time that they spend. And, and look, there's an element of people that don't want to do all that. And they're just they're going to buy things that they enjoy. And that's OK. And, and I'm 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 going to still describe that somewhat as lazy because I think that it puts them in situations where they're not able to be as efficient with the dollars that they devote to the hobby as they could be if they would increase their time spent and not in their learning process by just a little bit. I really don't think it takes a lot to become a, to become quite a bit more informed if it is, you sort of know what you're after. And, and that that's tough. And, and listen, Jeremy is somebody that like, 
I collect everything, right? I've, and I've said that it's I'm com, I'm a compulsive purchaser across all kinds of different segments, right? Um, but I also I do it, it very intentionally, and again, I try to make sure I know what I'm doing so that I can't because I'm buying all this stuff. I need to be pretty efficient with how I bring things in and things that aren't necessarily in the collection that are more there to be, you know, sold for a profit to help me offset the costs of the things that I'm keeping. And then even now, as I'm trying to run a business, like, I mean, the reality is if I don't sell, I'm going to go bankrupt and I don't, I don't really want to do that. So I, I need to be on top of that stuff, which requires more time and effort. So, you know, but look, I a hundred percent get it. People don't like being called lazy. And, and I'll say if that really turns you off and you haven't seen my other videos to hear me talk about it and laugh about it and point the fingers of being lazy right back at me, then get familiar with the unfollow button and go follow somebody else that makes you feel better. Right. There's lots of choices out there. I, I'm not here to, I'm here to share my journey and I'd like to make friends. And if that's not your style, that's cool. There are other people to go out there and follow. And there you have is that it. Too, is that too mean? What's that? Is that too mean? I mean, no, listen, you're being it might be stupid if I cared about how many followers I had. So again, guilty. Here I am. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, you're, uh, hey, you do you. I mean, what else, what else can I say? Is, is it mean? I don't know. I mean, listen, uh, I am I'm a big proponent of curating your hobby experience, you know, Me curate too. your collection, also curate your experience. Yes. The unfollow button is a wonderful thing. The the block button is a wonderful thing. I I've unfollowed some accounts that I followed for years. Why? Because they don't enhance my life. Yes. Yeah. If you don't if I if if David isn't enhancing your life or if I'm not enhancing your life, you know, and and if someone is not enhancing my life, I'm at the age and stage of life now where I don't have time or energy. Right. I'm not looking for conflict. I'm not looking... just take a break, right? It's yeah. okay. like I do that too. Sometimes I'll just take a break from people. I mean, I've, I say all the time. There are a lot of people I follow, even Jeremy, that I don't necessarily like, but it's but they sometimes say some things that help me go through that curation exercise, even if it's me curating from them what not to do. Because sometimes yeah, yeah. not doing something is even more important than actually doing something. And so, you, you know, but I also think it's important to try to get into the totality. And you mentioned it, right? Um, a lot of times when I talk about these two hobby truths, I'm doing it in my YouTube videos and, and that kind of stuff and some of my older content. Um, so, it, you know, it's out there. But uh, you know, if, if people really like kind of the shorter segments, it's sometimes hard to get into that depth and that, that's okay. I, I'm, I, I'm still learning this whole content game anyway. Um, you know, you and I are about the same age. I don't know about you. I was never really comfortable with it. I'm still not sure. And I'm definitely not very technologically good with any of it. So like that's out there too. My stuff tends to be pretty kitschy and simple, but that, it's all right. It works yeah. for me so far and that I'm really mostly doing it to, you know, talk about my, talk about the things that I do and try to share my knowledge as best I can. Um, and if for some it hits and others it doesn't, that's cool. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I've become a lot more comfortable with it. I'm, you know, coming up on four years doing this. So, uh, it's, I'm a lot, I used to, uh, I used to get butterflies in my stomach before I'd go live. That lasted the yeah. first maybe, I don't know, seven or eight times I did it. And now here I am. I'm almost at 500 live streams. And uh, and I don't... I, let I, it rip. <laughs> what's that? You just let it rip. Yeah, no, I, I don't... I, I There's no nerves anymore at all for me. Uh, that went away a while ago. But I'm just... Yeah, it, it's routine. It, it, it's it's part of what's... Anyway, let's keep on. Let's keep on moving. A couple of comments. 1956 Top Sky Matthew says veteran collectors like these guys are really important for educating newbies so they don't get taken advantage of. Being nice can help make the pill easier to swallow. Well said. Irish Flyers, Neil. What a nice Jeremy enriches my hobby. You enrich mine, Neil. You enrich my hobby experience. And I'm not just saying that uh, you really do. Meeting Neil at the expo was a wonderful uh, benefit or bonus for me at the show. Uh, and vintage. Response says there are lazy people in every industry. Some NBA players are clearly lazy, but we don't say NBA players are lazy. Broad generalizations are themselves lazy comments. I think I, I think you'd fair. accept that's fair, right? That's fair. I, listen, I never said that I wasn't guilty of violating both my hobby truths. Right. I'm just making everybody aware that they exist. It's partially why you know they exist because you correct you, you, uh, you embody. Okay. Yeah. Let's. We got about ten minutes left. We're going to do one more topic here, David, and I want to talk about because you've you've talked to me and made me this is this is um influenced my thought my thoughts a bit about you know thinking where does the hobby really live right we see like you mentioned before we see record breaking sales all the time on I get the daily card ladder email that shows three records it's not I got to tell you. I like seeing that there are still records being broken, even in yeah. the, the down, you know, the ups and downs in the hobby. I like seeing that. Um, but we see a lot of these these glorifieds. I do my Sunday night, or sorry, my 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 PWCC premiere show one Thursday month with Adam Gray. Every card we're looking at is basically they should yeah. be ten grand or more. Many of them are a hundred thousand. Like these are out of the reach of a minute of all but a minuscule amount of people in the hobby. It's fun yeah. to watch, but it's out of our. It's out of our reach, like you know, just like watching Baywatch. It's out of our reach, most of our reach, you know. But yeah, a yeah. lot of us watch that stuff anyway, or did back in the day. Um, talk about what you mean when, like, where does the hobby really live to you? What have you learned? What What are you seeing out there? Yeah, so um, part of this comes from my experience having set up at shows and even having owned a store a long time ago. Even though you know times have changed in terms of some of the pricing and stuff, but um, from setting up the shows for the last really seven, eight years. And then also had a great conversation actually with Chris um, from Card Ladder about this while I was up in Dallas. So I've always said that the the overwhelming majority, I think I actually think it's probably 98% or more, but some people would call it only 95. But to say it, it's an overwhelming majority of the cards in the hobby and collectors in the hobby are operating in the in the under hundred dollar space. So they're not, they're not even in three figures, much less five or six figures. And when you move from about a hundred dollars to five hundred dollars, the pool of buyers narrows probably in half. Because listen, the reality is five hundred bucks is still a lot of money to most people. It, it's a it's an apart you know it's a housing payment, it's a car payment. It's a tuition payment. It's lots of different things, right? And then 
when you, once you get to a thousand, you really start to narrow the gap. Now, most hobbyists over time, especially those that are kind of aspirational, let's say, um, they they can often and and will often eventually sort of get to that level. But I, I mean, I remember for me, the first time I paid a thousand dollars for something was I was really uncomfortable with it, and 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 probably wasn't ready when I did that. But when you then move from a thousand to ten thousand, forget it. You you are down to an, a very very small group of collectors slash um, speculators that operate in that space. And so, you know, as I described to you, when you look around at the shows and see some of the most active tables, it's all, it's always the value bins, right? The bargain bucket stuff, the, the $10, $5, $1, you know, 5,000 count boxes that are stuffed with stuff. I mean, people will just absolutely wear those things out. You're, you're, your guy hit him high, Josh at the Toronto. Yes. Oh, I mean, he's got he's got racks of these things, and that's, yeah. that, he's like, that's the that's the bread and butter. Yes, and like and and I mean, he you know the people that are doing that probably have to go home and put band aids on the blisters. But I mean, the reality is, there are cool cards in there. There are valuable cards in there. There are uh, the, one of the kids that I know down here in Houston, Jacob, ball cards in the attic. He will wear these things out. And I mean, he inevitably always walks away with a couple, two or three cards that are, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 150 comp that he scored out of some $5 bin. I, I mean, it happens. That stuff's out there. And, and it should, listen, it's just a different way to kind of approach your collecting. But I st that is where the core of the hobby really lives. And, and what something, and so to give a little light on, if I've remembered this correctly, what Chris told me, and I really hope Card Ladder would like, and some of the other pricing people would share some of this information just so that we all kind of know. But I, I think what Chris told me was that the average sale price of cards in any given month ended up being around about a hundred bucks a card. But he said, and that was the average, but he said the median price was actually less than I think he said seventy bucks, and 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 you know that's from all the online data and other stuff that they pull from all the auction houses, and then like I think you and I talked about, listen, if we scoped out the top twenty percent or even just the top ten percent of card sales from that data, what happens to that seventy bucks? Does it actually drop to like twenty? And, and to me, that hearing that from him really validated my experience, what I see with my eyes, but also just experienced as I was continuing and still do continue to build out my collection and things that I buy. Um, the real heart and soul of the hobby is in that under $100 range. And, and you know, my challenge to people is to don't try not to get caught up with the social media highlight reel of the records and and listen challenge the people that are only showing you those highlights to either show you their real pc and talk about why it's cool without talking about the value because i think there are a lot of people out there that can't really do that and then secondly 
challenge them if you don't see cards that are under a hundred bucks on their timeline challenge them to find one and tell you why it's cool um you know you know jeremy you and i have talked about um i'm pursuing the stained glass sets for alan and ginter in 2019 and 2020 and when i showed those on my page you came back to me and said you know there's some stained glasses that i like too and right my immediate reply was tops gallery of heroes is pretty awesome and like boom pictures of tops gallery of heroes cards come into my dms from you and like they're not expensive cards but they're they're wonderful design they they they're aesthetically pleasing they you know you said you had one in your window um there's just a lot of other stuff like that um as well as even you know things like um here it is. That's yeah, it's the oversized one. The oversized, like by accident, Tom C. <laughs> yes, but it's like, things, like just to give like, you the, how how big it's, you know, that's a right. That, that's how oversized yeah. it is from a, a regular card. And I'm like, I'm not going to send this bag. And I have it sitting on a stand in yeah. my window, so when light shines through, this thing's beautiful. And like, so you know, it. when you mentioned earlier the curation bit, fifteen dollars. Yeah, I still believe that it's so important as a collector to still find ways that to to be able to find cards that you enjoy and i and i talked about this not long ago on my story cards that don't have a link necessarily into price that it's something that you're able to measure from the kind of the 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 joy of sharing it and telling the story about it with somebody else and 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 actually allowing their reaction to that to be the thing that brings value to that card right I, I think if we can if you can do that you you really are now into the curation aspect of what you're trying to do as, as a collector now that and that that doesn't mean that there's not a place for investing and speculating there 100 percent is but we have we've just been inundated with that type of content and, and I was one of the people back in 2020 that was railing on this stuff and saying it's too much, it's too much, it's too much. It's the wrong focus. The dollar value is not, if, if the dollar value is the first thing that comes to your mind when you're looking at a card, I don't consider that being a collector. I consider that being an investor and a speculator, which is different. And so for collectors, you don't, you, if you want to be a collector, You've got to be careful how you take that stuff in and let it impact how you make your collecting decisions. And so, you know, I encourage people try to find some low dollar value stuff that's fun to collect. I love the Topps Chrome parallels. So like with Mookie and, and, and Altuve and Bregman and guys like that, I've got my binder sheet with like nine Chrome sepias in there. And I just, I mean, I just love them. Like I can look at those, you know, and, and, and still experience the design and the product and, and still get the, you know, that, that joy of just seeing um, the poses and of the players that I enjoy watching and that I want to, you know, that I do, I connect with um, for, for whatever reason. So, I mean, just, just listening to you speak about this. I mean, if you're listening, if it, those of us listening to you right now, you, sh, you know, you, it's like, yeah, there, there's something to be said for, it doesn't have to be, every card doesn't have to be, don't you don't have to derive value because there were so much money. There is joy in 
five dollar cards. Yeah, maybe there's joy in twenty five cent cards to a lot of people. It just depends what the card is. There, yeah. are, there is joy in all cards along the whole scope, right up to the big ones too. But don't discount the joy that we as hobbyists can gain from cheaper cards, a fill a binder. You know, it's like you said. You said to me, I like to say, I well, hey, look, look what I collect. I got, you know, like it's, 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 yes. it's just funny how that, how that, how that works. Um, and I think also that we are often sort of, um, we're, we're misled by the amount of high value cards we see on social media. It all depends on how you've curated your social media experience. Yeah. If you're on Instagram and everyone you're following is showing, you know, thousand dollar cards all the time. That's what you might think the norm is, but what David is trying to tell us is that it isn't. The no. data states that the that the average card in the hobby sells for about 70 bucks as for what card ladder tracks. However, I said, yeah, but take out all the hundred thousand dollar plus cards, that 70 probably comes down to way down, right? Take out yeah. everything over 10, everything 10,000 up, that probably comes down to 15 bucks. Yeah, I mean, we're guessing here, but yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, Matt W wants to know: Does David have a podcast? David, uh, I don't think you do, or I do not. And I've, your guest. I've, been, I've been getting, I keep getting requests. Adam is has been pushing me to do it. And going back to Hobby Truth number one, <laughs> I have been, I'm lazy and it's still not convinced myself that I'm going to do it. But I, I, I'm seriously considering it. And if I do, I will, I will absolutely let everybody know. And I'm sure guys, you know, my friends like Jeremy and Adam and others will tell you guys about it too. So, and check out David's Instagram handle is right under his name. They're at signed in slab. So if you want to see when he does launch a podcast, make sure you're following him on Instagram. Mark Santucci said, nice card to my Cal Ripken Jr. Oversized gallery of heroes. Thank you, Mark. Uh, 1956 tops guy, Matthew, finding inexpensive cards that deliver the engagement and feels are the best. That is the hobby. Yeah, that's what it's like. I've got to tell you, it's I love the joy I feel from a cheaper, more inexpensive card. It's why do I love it? Because it's the same joy I feel from an expensive yes, card. Literally, correct. it's the same feeling. It might even be yes. better because I don't have as much at risk or as much invested. I could, you know, but I also love my expensive cards, too. I, I buy very expensive cards and I do love them. But the joy is pretty much the same yeah. from a lower end card. Zach Swisher says as someone who rejoined the hobby during COVID, it's definitely hard not to think price. I I understand that, but there are lower price cards that you can enjoy. I would think Zach, you just have to look for them. Look for them and and you know, just you'll 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 come across them. Sean Red says I have a wall of 80s OPG and graded hockey cards that I love. Very cool. Matthew says we need to do better as a community of highlighting great collector accounts that aren't ours and Matthew uh, does a great job of always sharing other people's uh, cards to his story on Instagram, and it is at 1956topsguy. If you're not following Matthew on Instagram yet, highly recommend uh, his account right there. Mark says, does David like newer cards? Four or five for 15. Aaron Judge, 23 23 is one of them. Anything to respond to that? Listen, I buy Mookie Betts Chrome Parallels five for five bucks on ComC. So like, and sometimes cheaper, you just get out there and dig, man. I'll yeah. say, I mean, I got to have a refractor every year that a new set comes out. And if, as long as I wait past about two weeks, I can score Mookie for about 48 cents. Yeah, there you go. Matt W. Great job of the show. Thank you, Matt W. All right. All right, David. Um, 
two hours and five. We've been in overtime for five minutes. We're at the two hour five mark of this show. This went by super fast for me. Um, so thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, we did not get through every topic we wanted to, but that is okay. That is okay. We will we will regroup later and do this again in the future. But I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your thoughts on everything. Um, the chat, you guys were really great tonight. Uh, I say that pretty much all the time, but you know we had some some uh, sensitive topics earlier. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank everybody for being respectful throughout the episode. Uh, thank you. Thank you to the chat for being uh, just being the way you almost pretty much always are. Um, if you want to get any final comments into the chat, please get them in right away because we're going to end this in about a minute. David, final comments over to you before we end this thing. I Listen, I appreciate you having me on. I had a ball. Um, I want to I do want to also sort of say publicly um i did get to experience some of the level that goes into planning these things to make sure they kind of run off without a hitch and uh that's i not everybody puts that effort in um i i personally was very appreciative of that from you jeremy because i i know how hard these things are to do with even the little bit of content that i do and i don't i don't really do a lot of live so um, again, for those of you out there who think this is easy, um, sometimes the preparation is what really makes it look a lot easier than it is. And Jeremy puts a lot of effort into that. So um, I, I appreciate you for dragging me along in that because you did not allow me to get into the hobby is lazy component of prep for the show. So thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate that, David. Uh, thank you uh, again for your contribution to uh, Sports Cards Live episode number 204, 1956 Tops Guy says, yeah, this has been really uh, fab. Thank you, Matthew. Mark Santucci, appreciate that five out of five stars. Mike, appreciate you as always. Hobby Champs, peace out. Much appreciated. Matt says, yeah, Matt's been on. I forget your episode number, Matt, but uh, Matthew, but uh, thank you for joining the show Tonight, Irish Flyers, Megabit and Accountability, LGC, thank you so much. Currency Project, thank you so much. Great comment, Hobby Champs. Thank you. Have a good Thanksgiving, you lazy it is. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll be back again on the channel tomorrow for the PWCC Weekly Hockey, Monday for MC Mondays live, and again next Saturday with the giveaway from Leighton Sheldon on a graded vintage card. And our guest will be Brian Wells, the founder of Ship My Cards. We'll hear about his hobby history and a bit about running his business in the hobby. With that, everybody, thanks again. Have a great rest of your weekend. This episode of Sports Card Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.